1: Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Bingetown TV. I'm your host, Jim, and I'm here with my co-host, Kathleen and Paul. And today we are back with the next episode for our newest series and podcast feed titled What Should I Watch Next? In this podcast series, members of the Bingetown TV podcast will get together and recommend shows that you guys need to watch. We'll recommend based on genres like fantasy, mystery and sci-fi topics like underappreciated shows, single season shows canceled shows still worth watching, and streaming services like Netflix or Prime Originals, or we may just let you guys know what we're watching recently and recommend based on that. There's so much great TV out there, and we're here to help you find it. We also have something very exciting we want to announce for these episodes. We want this podcast to be interactive. So what does that mean? We want you guys to recommend shows to us. We want you all to send voice messages or text messages if you're a little shy with your recommendations, and every week we'll play them live on the pod. You want your voice and recommendation heard by hundreds of thousands of listeners around the world? All you have to do is join our Discord, leave us a message, and we'll play it on the pod and comment on it. The Discord link is in the description. Okay, so let's get this episode started. Today we'll be giving recommendations for one season standalone TV series.
2: All right, kicking off part two, I'm going to go with a Netflix original here. All of you guys have probably have heard of it, maybe not watched it yet, but it's pretty damn popular. And that's the Queen's Gambit. How good can a show about chess really be, right? How interesting. Well, pretty mm. fucking interesting, apparently. <laughs> First off, Anya Taylor Joy as Beth Harmon, my goodness, absolutely killed it in every way. I mean, so many different coming of age moments were told throughout the different episodes. And she portrayed him so differently, but still maintaining that Beth character. It's just so good. I can't, I can't praise her enough because she stole every scene she was in, even though there was a lot of really good guest stars and co-stars. She still just, you couldn't keep your eyes off of it. The whole premise of the show is her being an orphan, discovering chess, And then her slowly realizing that chess is her calling in life, her discovering the game more and her going to the pro level, all of the obstacles that she jumped through to go through, you know, the semi-pro level, the mediocre regional tournaments, stuff like that. And it really just comes to a head when, you know, the biggest names in the chess world are are being thrown around. And at the end of the day, it's a feel-good show. It's not... The Sopranos, where you're questioning humanity, morality afterwards and questioning your life or Breaking Bad. You walk away, you're feeling good about it. So the cinematography was so entertaining. There's so many great shots and it's like, all right, how many cool different angles of people playing chess can you really get? Come on. And throughout every episode, they just find a way to keep it fresh and keep it entertaining. And... You don't need to know anything about chess. I think a few people that I know can vouch that have seen the show. They said, I knew nothing about chess, but my goodness, it was still so good. If you do know chess, you'll probably respect the actual movement of it a little bit more. But you really don't need to know anything. And the last thing I will say is Luke would kill me if I didn't say this. But Luke talks about this show all the time because it literally changed his life. He got so into chess afterwards. He's had a newfound respect for it. And I've been kind of getting like secondhand smoke of that passion because, (laughs) you know, I've been getting better at chess now because Luke's been wanting to play. And I got a new respect for it. So it really was unbelievably captivating for a show about chess.
1: Yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy's Beth Harmon was amazing she does have some darkness to her there are some drugs and i would love to do drugs and
0: get drunk and dance in her living room with her for the record (laughs) sign me up and then play chess she can kick my ass all day i don't care
1: there's definitely a lot of character work when it comes to beth Harmon as she gets older throughout her life dealing with like you said paul her upbringing she's in an orphanage learning chess and then she gets adopted and then as she goes through her life playing chess and her mortal enemy is dudley dursley so (laughs) it's just it is a great show it really is and again yeah i played chess in my life but i have no interest i'm not that good but Mm -hmm. i watched this show and i was like damn it makes chess look cool as shit i'll tell you that right now (laughs) it was a very good show It, it was like gosh i don't know i probably binged it i don't think it in a day but it really 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 quickly a day or two
2: yeah, it yeah. was one of those shows that me and Emily started together and then we watched her episode. She was like, you can't watch it without me. Otherwise, we will be pissed. It's like <laughs> like you guys yeah. need to watch it together.
1: And for me, like Anya Taylor-Joy, she's been everywhere. She's been in a lot of things. But to me, that's where I really was like, wow, bam, that's my girl. She's one of my favorites. It wasn't like it was her first ever show or acting job. She's been in plenty and I've liked her and other stuff. But This one made me think of her like at the top of my list for female actresses that I'm looking for whenever there's a show or or movie coming out.
0: No, this is the show that cemented her stardom, right? She's always been good, but this was her show. She ran the thing. No one could have played Beth like she played Beth. I remember, I can probably go in my archive on my Instagram story. I watched like four episodes in one night. I clicked it immediately. It was one of those things where sometimes Netflix does a phenomenal job and sometimes Netflix does a fucking ass job of like yeah. pitching one of their shows. Just But like when I clicked Netflix, it was like this huge redhead Big Anya Taylor Joy eyes looking over a chessboard with like an apple or something. It's, it was, or, and I was like, and like the chessboard click.
1: pieces are airplane, alcohol yeah, bottles. Yeah, and, and maybe yeah. I made
0: up the apple, but I was like, click. Could
1: be. I think there's an apple. I don't know. Like
0: and uh, <laughs> four episodes in, I my Instagram story was, I'm already sad when this ends. Like, I'm sad that this is gonna end at some point in my life. Well. Queen's Gambit like fucked me up in a good way. It was one of those just like the binge was so sweet. It was so sweet. Mm-hmm. I was so. I actually haven't seen it since. Maybe I'll re binge it soon.
2: And that kind and of brings me to my last point that, you know, you're sad because you do want more of it, but yeah. it is a perfect one season show. Like season two, yep. I would be pissed if they ever tried to make that a thing. Yeah. There's yeah. no plan. And they wanted
1: it it. to. People want it big time. Yeah. But because no, it was so entertaining.
2: Wrapped up beautifully, put a bow on it.
1: And going with our theme here. Saying the Rotten Tomatoes, I don't believe you said it, Paul. I can't remember. But 96% critics, 94% audience. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Come on. All right. My turn. So this one is an oldie, but it's a major goodie. I don't know how many people, meaning Bingetown members, I don't know how many people lately have seen it. It's called Band of Brothers. It's an HBO miniseries. It came out in 2001. So it has been out for a long time, 20-plus years, 10 episodes long. This show is a miniseries and prestige TV, primetime TV on HBO, back when this was just the beginning of this era of television. You know, everyone always says The Sopranos brought television to the primetime, to everyone's eyes. It was such a big deal. want to give some props to Sex and the City first, Kathleen, because they came first. They came first, 1998, Sex Sex and the City came out. (laughs) Oz was a big one, not as big as The Sopranos, but that came out in 1997. Sopranos came out in 1999, and one of the next big things that that HBO came out with was this band of brothers, executive producers Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. I mean, again, come on. This show, uh, prior in the pod, Kathleen was talking about how limited series weren't as popular. And nowadays, you're seeing these limited series where mainstream huge movie stars are coming to TV. That used to be like a stigma back in the day. Oh, I'm not doing TV. So having Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, executive producers acting like this is a big movie event, Saving Private Ryan, the bands back together. This was one of the biggest HBO shows back then. It stars Damian Lewis, you recognize him from Homeland. Great in Homeland. He's in Billions recently. There's a lot of people in this show, so I'm not going to spit them all out. But there's a young Tom Hardy in it as well. If you're looking for if you're looking for a boy, Tom Hardy, to be back. Uh, a visceral, visceral, intense look at the horrors of war. I'll give you a quick rundown. I'm just going to read it. It's just easier to read it. So this show tells the story of Easy Company, the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division, U.S. Army. Again, 10-part series. It's just I don't know how else to say it like it, it when I watched this I was just next episode next episode next episode but at the same time going back to what Paul said about the Sopranos it hurts your heart a little bit obviously it's dark material it's not a feel good show at all it's giving you pretty horrific uh realities but it's good to see and it's very important to see 97% critics 96% audience this duo of Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg did come back for another show 10 years later. It was called The Pacific, and that was very good as well. I have friends, and I know people that aren't huge TV people, but I'll be surprised when I hear them say, like, oh, Band of Brothers, like, I have to watch that once a year. It's just like my show that I just want to rewatch. And that just goes to show you, if you're you're not even a TV person, but you're deciding you want to watch the show once a year, It's a great show. Everyone should check it out.
0: I will say that I know the list. We have nine shows. Of course, I've seen my three. I haven't seen this one, so I'm definitely going to watch Band of Brothers, and I'm definitely going to watch Devs because there's no way that my two besties here are going to pitch me a show, and I'm not going to fucking watch it. So Band of Brothers is on the list. I'm not going to lie. I knew that name, like Band of Brothers, sounded like a TV show to me, but I had no idea what it was. But I like dark. I'm a dark girl. I I like to hurt myself with TV sometimes. You know, i talk, talk about
1: a young Tom Hardy, a young Michael Fassbender, too. I mean, there is a lot of people in this that are young in their careers and they kill it. It is very good stuff. Tom Hardy doesn't come in until like the last two episodes, I think, or something. I haven't watched it in a long time, probably 10 plus years. So I'm due Damn. for a rewatch as well. But I have to watch some of the other shows for the first time, like devs as well.
0: All right. Here's another show you have to watch. So this is one that felt like it flew under the radar as well it's hbo's sharp objects and it's written by gillian flynn who did gone girl so of course you know it's going to be good gone girl was like such a phenomenon it was like a new york times bestseller for a hundred thousand years so i loved that and this was the summer i read things it must have been 2017 or 2016 or whatever i was reading things i read like 30 books i never read another book again basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, sharp objects. After I read Gone Girl, I was like, "What else has she done?" I really liked that. Sharp objects was fucking perfection, and it's eight episodes, starring Amy Adams, Patricia Clarkson, Eliza Scanlan, three just powerhouse women, and then even a young Sydney Sweeney is in it. Okay. Not too young; it was only, I don't know, six five years ago, whatever. But free euphoria, Sydney Sweeney, and this. Funnily enough, is the second show that I started craving supplemental podcast content. So I listened to a weekly podcast. I forget who did it, like Variety or someone like someone big, some like big, big name did a week to week pod. And what they would do is they would do like 45 minutes of the TV show. And then if you didn't read the book, you'd have to turn it off because then they would do like full book spoilers to be like, here's what's different from the book. How are they going to like twist it? It was it's fucking awesome. So it's really dark. And Amy Adams is the main character. And she plays a reporter from Chicago, I think, who goes back to her small hometown to investigate these like mysterious unsolved crimes that are happening. Two young girls are missing and pretty much presumed dead because it's like, where are these girls? And you just know there's like trauma in the hometown. Like she does not want to fucking go home. She's like drinking and all this stuff. So she's estranged from her family. So she comes home and has this like way younger sister who's Eliza Scanlon. And I think it's a half sister. I haven't seen it in a bit, but I'm pretty sure it's a half sister. And her mother's this like socialite who's kind of like reputation over everything. So she's like really strict, but also kind of like la-di-da-ish. It's fucked up. It's really fucked up to its core. And it was perfection television like i was reading articles i was listening to podcasts even though i'd already see i knew what happened like i read the book and it was a gorgeous adaptation of it like to the point where it's like eerie you know gone girl has like an eerie sense to it's a little dark uh this is like dark dark chris messina who i love from the mini project is also like another detective in it or a, a cop from the town it's mm-hmm. it's fucking awesome. And I may be misspeaking slightly on some of the details because it has been five years since I've seen it, but, man, is it really good. It's one of those shows where if it came out now, all seven of us would have watched it immediately.
1: So, funny story, Kathleen. What's the show that came out? Adam Scott and Reese Witherspoon. What's her name? Talk-
0: the movie? Oh, you're no, no, talking TV about show. Big Little Lies. Yeah,
1: so Big Little Lies. So... I watched that thinking it was Sharp Objects. Like I, I <laughs> thought of yeah. <laughs> like I thought I thought the premise of Sharp Objects. I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch Sharp Objects. But then I just accidentally confused it with Big Little Lies, and I just started watching Big Little Lies. So I ended up watching that show instead, and I haven't <laughs> seen Sharp Objects yet. And I remember telling you, I'm like, Kathleen, I'm watching Big Little Lies, and. When I went to tell you that, I specifically was like thinking I'm watching the show you told me to watch. And you were like, really? It's kind of like for girls. And I was like, oh, really?
0: <laughs> I loved Big Little Lies, too. If that was one season I mean, I, that might have been on it. It my was, list. Yeah, Alexander Skarsgård, my succession king and my true blood king. It was the year of Alexander Skarsgård in my last 12 months. I just like Alexander Skarsgård on a loop. Love that guy.
2: Big, sharp, little and, uh, objects. Uh, That's what I'm going <laughs>
1: to think. Zoe now. Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz, let's go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I don't want to say anything else, but the twist in the book, or like the reveal in the book, hit just as good on the television screen, I'll tell you that right now. You watch
1: the show first or read the book first?
0: I read the book, and then I was like, oh, Sharp Objects is coming out with a T-show, and I was like. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So what was better, the book or the show, or were they comparable? No, it was great.
0: I'm like not a hater. The
1: answer is yes.
0: (laughs) I'm not a hater of adaptations unless they really fuck it up. I'm if someone changes something and it still works, I'm like, wow, it's like all canon, except now I get more things, you know. To me, I tried
1: my best to to learn from Harry Potter because I was very, very annoying when Harry Potter came out as it got further and further along in the series five, six seven when they were making changes and i was like no that's not how it is and blah blah and then i learned that like you said kathleen just have your head canon yeah what you like and then let them do what they got to do and if you like it you like it if you don't you don't just let it be separate
0: you know in reverse of that and i'm a little disappointed that we dropped a fucking sci-fi series episode and the magicians wasn't mentioned i wasn't i don't know the the magicians
1: i don't that's more fantasy right is
0: it was on the sci-fi network brother you better stop well yeah but but
1: but like i think of like i get magic is fantasy not science fiction but
0: but... anyway the magicians i did the opposite best show ever by the way five seasons loved it to death i've seen it 80 million times needed more content so i read the three books and the books lev grossman like he fucking created an incredible world But the show goes off like they do their own thing but when I read the books after, I'm just like, this is just more adventure. Like, they're all just doing different things, and it fucking rocks. And I was picturing the TV people the whole time, and it was phenomenal. Yeah. And I would recommend that to anybody, because I was having a time. It was a good time. As a
1: quick as a quick sidebar, you know, The 100's kind of similar, where I didn't read it, and I don't think anybody read it. I think Luke may have tried, and he actually didn't really like the source material. But, again, it's, it's a book series that was adapted into a television show and they kind of just decided you know what we're gonna do our own thing and i think in those terms for 100 it came out very well the magicians came out very well there's plenty that can do that it's just if you're widely known like game of thrones is it on D? yes but also george r. r martin didn't finish but either way if you have perfection don't change it the witcher we we'll, the Witcher. We'll see this One Piece. I mean, we we're talking about One Piece because I'm reading it now. And The Last of Us, it's like, it's there for you. Everything is there for you. The video game, the cutscenes are the TV show, the story. You have everything you need. One Piece, you have every single thing you need, as long as you can adapt it into looking okay and, and correlating it to TV. Story-wise, it's there. You don't need to screw anything up. You don't need to change anything. Just, just put it on TV, and you're gonna have some fun with it.
2: Last of Us, another one that I... Couldn't put on the list because there is a season two coming.
1: Do you have the rotten on that, Kathleen?
0: Oh, yeah. I got the rotten, baby. The rotten is a 92 critics and an 83 audience.
2: All right, for my final pick for the one-season hit-and-quit shows. Now, if you're a binged-down homie and been with us for a while, uh, you might be surprised that this is on the list, but I'm going to pick Marvel's WandaVision. You know, why this is a sore subject is because just transport yourself back just a few years. Endgame came out. The peak of the MCU, I would call the endgame, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, just the peak. That happens. We're in a lull. The next stage is starting. We're waiting all of a sudden because COVID hits and the pandemic happens and some Marvel content doesn't get released. And months and months and months go by. And WandaVision is slated to be the first MCU content that we got since Endgame. And we're hype. Like we are still riding on the high, and our Mm -hmm. expectations were just crazy high. And that totally affected our take on the show and what we thought it was going to do for the rest of the MCU. So our opinions of it were from a certain viewpoint. But when you step back and you just look at the show as a whole, it is great. I mean, 91 critic score, 88 audience score. But what the show is, the end of Endgame, we lost some big heroes, one of them being Vision. And this is Wanda Maximoff coming to terms with that or not coming to terms with it. You know, the last thing we saw, Vision was dead. You start the show, all of a sudden there's this big hex in this, this small town that came out of nowhere. And what do you know? wanda is running the hex and you know the first episode is what the 1950s the 1960s tv era and then episode the black two and is, white yeah is the era after that and then episode three is that tv era after that and from an artistic standpoint it is such a cool idea and they executed it great i think oh my god the cast is just crazy katherine Hahn and elizabeth olsen going back and forth Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany as, you know, the, the couple, the uh, mother and father, they were great going back and forth. It was a star set of cast. There's a bunch more actors, um, faces you would recognize. Just outstanding. And, you know, it is a sh- superhero show, though, at the end of the day. So there is going to be a big climactic fight scene at the end. Plenty of action. But, you know, there's also some mystery. It deals with love. It deals with grief. And it is a really good story. Whether you want to connect it to the rest of the MCU, you know, I think that might hurt it a little bit if you just solely look at it as its own show. And it's just how how a person can handle loss. It's just really beautifully done.
0: Let me ask you a question. What is grief, if not love, persevering?
2: <laughs> yeah, <that's> oh. Right. <laughs>
0: I just whipped that out of my ass, okay?
2: What a (laughs) line. Yeah, I've
0: I've seen it. And let me just do the quick pitch for people who aren't necessarily an MCU girly, because I've seen Endgame and Infinity Wars, and I've seen, like, here and there and here and there. Like, I've seen movies, because I had a boyfriend once upon a time, and I, you know, I love Spider-Man. I'm a Spider-Man girl who he's involved in MCU at some points. But, so... I enjoyed WandaVision. I was a little shook up by the first two episodes in the old school like sitcom of it all. I was a little shook, I'm not going to lie. I was like, what is this? But it really picks up. So if you're someone who doesn't really know much of the MCU, you don't need to. I would say brush up on the characters a little bit. Like you can just do a little YouTube, what should I know before I watch WandaVision? <laughs> and you'll be good. Um but I understand that People may think, again, there's like a barrier of entry to watch WandaVision if you're not an MCU girl, which is like 45 movies before that. So the Disney Plus MCU era is like so insane. It really is. Phase four or whatever.
2: Cool connection. Wanda's son in WandaVision is the same actor. Evan Peters. That plays Luke oh. no, in <laughs> a Hill House. and Haunting of Hill House. Haunting yeah. of Hill House. Evan Peters is her brother. Oh, okay and he's in Maravista.
1: <laughs> Mervis yeah there you go so I'm gonna be the one to jump in here to, to talk more about why it's polarizing. I was also someone on the pod that was more praising of the show. there was uh Luke on the pod who <laughs> took a long time for him to continue watching Marvel shows after this or movies because he was just so down on it and the reason why, it's polarizing is if you're a, a huge Marvel fan, Paul said it perfectly and game finished. We had COVID and there was just a drought at the weirdest time for Marvel. You have the, the highest of highs and now we're just going to pause for a while. And then here comes WandaVision. And if you're a fan of Marvel comics, the hype couldn't have been any higher. And I'm not going to really go into it, but the fact that there is source material for what could have happened, had people theorizing like crazy, major, major expectations, and what ended up happen- happening was it was more of a A to B show, like most Marvel is nowadays. And the other thing you have to know about Marvel, which we've been finding out pretty painfully, is that. The shows don't really affect the larger scale of the cinematic universe as big time as you would hope. And we thought WandaVision would do it majorly. So because it didn't, that's where people got disappointed. Now if you and can let that go, go ahead, Paul. To add on to that, they would
2: purposely hide easter eggs like referring to, you know, they House trolled of M. Us. Yeah. Here and there in the early episodes. So our expectations are just snowballing to, oh my God, this might affect everything in a huge
1: way. It's harder for a podcaster too, and someone who's nitpicking and really fine tooth combing shows because you're putting all of your your love and your and your mind and everything into it because you just want to guess what's next and have all these theories and what does this mean? And what does that mean? And when you find out that the answer is pretty much nothing, that's kind of the painful part of it. But really if you're okay, which is not thinking of it that way, this show, I said it when it was first coming out, I said it could change the face of television because of how they were doing Things that haven't been done in a long time where I'm not going to spoil it for you. Kathleen kind of said some things, but each episode was different. They were using a lot of nostalgia and they were changing. Cinematically, they were changing things. And I think that the first half was very, very, very strong. The second half got more like action paced and a little bit more straightforward. But again, in a vacuum. Like Paul said, it's a story about grief. Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, amazing acting. I think it's worth the watch, especially if you enjoy Elizabeth Olsen, especially if you enjoy, yes, Kathleen's shaking your head, Elizabeth Olsen, hell yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's it's an enjoyable show. As long as you're not like going to get very upset that it's not changing the face of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it's not really using the source material then have fun, watch the show, enjoy Catherine Hahn, enjoy Elizabeth Olsen, enjoy Paul Bettany, and don't try to think that the mailman is Mephisto or that Evan Peters is actually Quicksilver or things like that. So there you go.
2: But the last thing I'll say, the nostalgia references to the early eras of TV are phenomenal. A lot of people won't get it uh i only understand it because you know when i would visit my grandparents they would put on old i love lucy episodes uh, so so many around that genre uh you know bewitched just that black and white style and they absolutely nailed it all the way up to the malcolm in the middle era and it's just a phenomenal sitcom parody but also being its own Love story that really makes you feel.
1: And the fact that it's there now to binge is perfect because the week to week made you have to think about it and think too much about it. And again, to reiterate. We've learned on this podcast that when it comes to Marvel. You don't need to think too much. You don't need to. You don't need to get as into it as you think you do. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. So I'm going to bring this episode home with my last. And our last recommendation. And for me, it's three for three for HBO television shows here. I think we have what? There's nine episodes and maybe what? Six or HBO? HBO is yeah. goaded. We know that. We have a Hulu, we have a Netflix, and we have a Disney Plus, and then we have HBO. So this is The Watchmen. This is nine episodes long. It came out in 2018. It stars Regina King, Jeremy Irons, Gene Smart is back. After Jean Mayor of Easttown, well, actually, <laughs> Watchmen came first. But Gene Smart, one of the goats, she's she's in this show as well. Regina King is great in this show. Mm-hmm. If you, so here's here's the deal though, it's kind of hard to explain. Paul, you can jump into the Watchmen is a graphic novel that came out, and it was written by Alan Moore and. Famously, he hates everything that's not his own work. So he was like, "I hate the movie that came out. I hate the TV show. It all sucks. Uh, I hate my life. Whatever." But (laughs) he's the man, and he wrote *Vendetta*. He wrote, uh, he wrote this. He wrote the killing joke for Batman for DC Comics. He's got a lot of great material that's been adapted, and this graphic novel was adapted into a movie by Zack Snyder. And the thing about this is that. This show actually is a sequel to the graphic novel, not the movie. So know the source material. You can watch the movie if you'd like. I mean, it was okay. I think it was a typical Zack Snyder, a little bit too little bit too long, but otherwise it was okay. Um, but the big thing is that the graphic novel ends one way and the movie ends another way, and that matters to this show. And the show takes place thirty four years after the original story. The graphic novels, again, not the movie, takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It uses real-life historical events and kind of integrates them into the story. After a white supremacist attack, a law is passed that allows cops to hide their identities under a mask. And that's really all I'm going to say about the show. Uh, When it comes to story-wise, it is important to have read the books because there are characters that show up from the graphic novels. Jeremy Irons is a character from the graphic novels. Gene Smart is as well. So you do need a little background. But I'm telling you, read the graphic novels because they're phenomenal. The graphic novels, when I was in high school, V for Vendetta and The Watchman were my summer reading. And it was the best summer I ever had. So (laughs) read the graphic novels and then watch the show. Phenomenal nine episodes created by Damon Lindelof, so you know the quality is phenomenal. Again, it's an HBO show, great quality, great acting, very dark, very well done cinematically. uh, Paul, you want to jump in and give some of your thoughts?
2: Yeah, if you don't have time to read the graphic novel and the source material, I I just watched a YouTube video, you know, what do I need to watch before watching?
1: Yeah, you could definitely do that. I did that as well.
2: And I will say that is probably the one gripe I have about the show is if if you don't at least have a little background, you don't need it, but it helps a little bit because I didn't really have it. In the first three episodes, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I have no idea that they're in a car. All of a sudden it's raining jellyfish. Like exactly. I have. It's, yeah. It's like, Squid, what the by f- the
1: way, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't they know that together. Sorry.
2: <laughs> so, um, I would say that would be, you know, the biggest hurdle for the viewer to overcome. But, man, it just really all slowly starts to come together. It has one of the craziest twists that I, in a million years, would have never saw coming. And mm-hmm. to go off of that, beyond that twist, there's a, there's a secondary twist after. and It's just like the, the fucking snowball effect it was just so crazy, and I loved it. I was one of the last to watch it. It took me way too long to finish it because of how lost I was. In the yeah, first few episodes, that'll do but, it. But what happens with the antagonist and all of that? It it comes to a head too, because you're like, "What the fuck is happening there?" But it really does click towards the end, and you can just like, I remember just sitting on the edge of the couch, like literally with my mouth open, because I was like, "That is so cool, and that makes so much more sense." And I can't go more beyond that. Just I, I can't even begin to start explaining yeah. the story like
1: you're saying.
0: Blue penis,
1: blue oh. penis, Hell blue yeah. penis. Yep.
0: That's what I thought. Yeah, blue yeah. penis. That's all not, I have to so, say. That's my one addition to this uh, not cowards,
1: not no cowards. cowards. HBO is not; a, they're not cowards. And it was show. definitely they, a they prosthetic
0: show. blue schlong, but whatever, whatever, dude.
1: I believe he's a real schlong too, right? Isn't it? There's a real schlong.
0: Too. Who's
1: well, I'm not going to say because that's that's spoiler alert. But so anyway, uh, <laughs> HBO, they're not cowards. They they show it all. So I will agree with you, Paul. You definitely need a little bit some kind of background because there's some stuff that happens that you're just like, I don't know what's happening unless I know. But I think if you find a good YouTube recap, you can pull it off. It's one of those shows where you think of The Watchmen and I think this is where Alan Moore comes in where he says like, yeah, The Watchmen is just perfect how it is. And it's very true that the graphic novels from beginning to end are great and there's an ending and you're good with the ending. So I would like to have been a fly in the on the wall for the pitch for this show because I feel like you need to explain it and explain why it's going to be good before if you just said, "Hey, I want to do a sequel to The Watchmen." Maybe they say yes, just because it's a it's a, like a franchise name and it's a big name, but it's so wonderfully done where they take the original content and then figure out a way to, to use that for a story that comes 34 years after the OG story. And again, it was one of those shows where it's supposed to be a limited series. It was so loved that people want a season two. Don't believe they're going to do it. I think they're going to keep it that way with one season. Weirdly enough, and I don't know the story on this. I didn't get a chance to look it up. 96% critics, but 56% audience.
0: Wow.
1: That's got to be that. I don't know. I don't know if it's a review bomb thing or there could be a scenario where you're like, Watchmen comes out in 2019. Everyone's like, damn, this show is freaking good. Regina King is killing it nominated for Emmys and this and that people watch it and they're like, I don't know what the hell's going on because I didn't, I don't know the source material. And even if you watch the movie, yeah, that helps. But like I said, the squid stuff that Paul's talking about that happens early on isn't in the movie and it's a big deal in the book. So things like that, if you're not aware of that, you're probably confused. And then you, you could probably end up going, I don't know what's going on. This show sucks. So there's a little asterisk next to the show. Very, very, very well done. Know the source material, or at least prepare yourself a little bit before you watch.
2: I want to say it again. There was, like, two crazy twists right at the end, and it's, like, the first twist was an alley-oop for the second twist to just fucking slam dunk and, like, blow my mind. So, I had to power through a little bit, but towards the end, you know, you guys kept pushing me to finish it. Even Luke. Luke was like, dude, just, like, finish the last four episodes, and... Uh, I pushed through and I was so happy I did because I was like, that was a wild way to tell a story.
1: Crushed it, nailed it. So that is the end of part two of our What Should I Watch podcast series covering limited series one season shows. We covered nine shows over the course of these two episodes. So, So we hope you guys wrote these down. Try them out. Let us know on the Discord if you liked them, if you hated them. Give us some comments. Let us know. We have no problem hearing positives and negatives. Also, hit us up with these recommendations. Just like we shouted earlier in the episode, we want to do this every episode. So if we get a voice message, we're going to play it on the podcast. If we get a message, we're going to read it on the podcast. And we're going to comment. We're going to let you know if we love it. We're going to let you know if we don't like it. And we'll be be honest with you. And that's where it's going to be fun. We want to talk about it. We want to have some fun with it. The Discord link is in the description. All you have to do, click on the description, click on the link, boom, you'll get the invite to the the Bingetown TV Discord, and then join the fun. Also, if you're listening on the What Should I Watch podcast feed, this is a separate feed just for this topic, but we are a podcast that covers television shows, over 400 episodes, 100 different TV shows covered. We're called Bingetown TV, so please check us out, bingetowntv.com, or just type Bingetown TV in any of your favorite podcast apps. Once again, we are Binstown TV, and thank you so much for listening.
0: Nice.